You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the New York Yankees official podcast. I don't think really I was expecting any of this either, but, you know, when you kind of get out of your own way and let the universe take over, I think, uh, you know, good things tend to happen. The fans are what drive the game. The fans buy the tickets. The fans pay the subscriptions. The fans buy the jerseys. They have a right to be upset when their team isn't winning or when their team isn't playing well or when... They disagree with something that's happening, but at the same time, you just have to be able to separate it. As far as like the pressure and all that, I I think I'm enjoying it, really. I think it's an opportunity to kind of step outside your comfort zone, uh, maybe grow a little bit, learn how to handle that pressure, and then I think, you know, on top of that, if you can do that, it only makes you better. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the New York Yankees official podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor of Yankees Magazine. Joining me across the desk right now, we have our editor-in-chief, Al Sanasiri. What's up, Al? Hey, John. How you doing? Good. Good, good, good. Well, obviously, we are kind of approaching, you know, the last third of August, entering into the last month of the season. It's kind of hard to believe we got here so fast. But we have a cool interview today with one of the surprises of the 2023 season, Jake Bowers. I had a chance to speak to him a couple weeks ago, and it's a it's a real fun conversation. And then, Al, I think we should also discuss your features in the August magazine. First, you have a Q&A with former Yankee Roy White and a great article that you went to Scranton to speak with Rail Riders manager and former Yankee Shelly Duncan. Absolutely. Great uh, interview you did with Jake Bowers. You know, it's kind of neat. No matter what happens during the course of the season, it seems like there's always somebody who is a big surprise, like you said, and who provides an inspirational story for us. A guy who you, you wouldn't have expected to be so productive and kind of come out of nowhere. And he's the guy this year for sure. And, and it is a great story. Without further ado, then let's hear from Jake Bowers. Joining me right now here, we have Jake Bowers. Jake, thanks for doing this. Yeah, no problem. No problem. So (laughs) this might be a rude, weird way to start this off, but I'm going to admit, you know, last year when we heard the transaction wire, Jake Bowers' name show up, I wasn't necessarily at the time prepping a really long interview with Jake Bowers. It must have been a pretty interesting ride for you to get from there to this point right now. Uh, Yeah, I don't think you were the only one. Um, (laughs) I don't think really I was expecting any of this either, but, you know, when you kind of get out of your own way and let the universe take over, I think, uh, you know, good things tend to happen. There's a lot of baggage that can come with the Yankees franchise. And I mean that in a good and bad way. It's the most successful team in baseball history. And, you know, in recent years, it's been a team that's always been at the top of the division, always been at the top of the league. You know, but there's also the sense that New York can be a tough place to play, old school rules, some expectations, things like that. How do you feel the experience of being here now this season has been to maybe what was in your head about what it would like be like to be a Yankee? Uh, I think everything's lined up uh, with what I thought. I mean, you know, like you said, there's uh, there's some rules in the clubhouse that maybe, you know, you're not necessarily used to. But, I mean, once you get adjusted to that kind of thing, you know, it's just a matter of shaving every couple of days <laughs> and, 
you can handle you know, that. Yeah, everything everything's fine. Everything's fine. Um, as far as like the pressure and all that, I think um, I think I'm enjoying it. Really, I think it's an opportunity to kind of step outside your comfort zone. Uh, maybe grow a little bit, learn how to handle that pressure. And then I think, you know, on top of that, if you can do that, it only makes you better, right? It holds you accountable. It keeps you working and it makes you want more, not just for yourself, but for the city. I don't need to tell you this. A guy with your position on the roster, a lot of your opportunities are going to come and you don't want to talk about this necessarily, but they're going to come from injury sometimes, from from where things were at the outset. And I mean, even just, you know, a couple weeks ago, Rizzo goes down and now, it looks like you're slotted in at first base for, for a while in that regard. I know that that's an uncomfortable thing in some senses. How do you balance this idea of being the guy who's going to take over when there are a lot of fans and there are a lot of probably people in the front office here who feel that they need Anthony Rizzo here, but what, we're, what you're getting is Jake Bowers, and they're going to get the best Jake Bowers they can, right? Yeah, I mean, all you can really do is put yourself in a position to be the guy that is going to have to step up, right? So, I mean, I feel like... In April in AAA, I think I did that. I think I put myself in a position to be the guy that when they need someone to call on, that I was going to be that guy. And uh, that's how it turned out. And then, you know, obviously losing Rizzo for a chunk of time is, is a blow to the lineup. It's a blow to the defense. It's a blow to the clubhouse. But again, being able to be the guy who can play first base and outfield kind of allows you to be able to step up in that situation. And so I'm just hoping to, you know, contribute what I can offensively and uh, play solid defensively. A couple weeks back, I'm talking to Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, and he kind of has, you know, shown what can come from a willingness to just, like, stand up there and say, put me anywhere. <laughs> Whatever you need, I got you. And, you know, that's noble, and it works, and when it works, it goes great. I mean, and the flip side to that is it doesn't benefit anybody for me to stand up and offer to serve my country by, you know, swimming 100 meters at the Olympics. You know, I mean, I, obviously you need to be able to deliver on these things. How hard is it to prepare yourself and to be ready for and, and, and to be ready to excel in a lot of different roles? I mean, I don't really think it's all that tough. I think what makes it tough is struggling against it. I think you have to be able to accept your current reality, your current situation, and then say, okay, What's going to best serve me in this moment? What's going to best serve me in this opportunity? And I feel like if you're struggling against it, you're not going to be able to take a step back and say, I need to do this so that I'm ready today. You're going to be upset because you're not playing today and you're playing tomorrow and you want to play here, but you're playing there. It just doesn't help. It doesn't help. The only thing that helps is being able to say, I'm on the New York Yankees. The only goal that I have is winning this game tonight. So how do I accomplish that? What is going to help me be the best I can be on the field to help this team win? And are you able then to feel, because I understand that that's the, what you need to bring to it in that moment. If you walk in and I mean, there was a time you would walk in and your name would either be not in the lineup or it would be in any one of nine positions mm -hmm. in the batting order. And who knows what position? I mean, when you would see that, is every single one of those just like, okay, that's what I'm doing today and I'm cool? Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's such a long season that if you get tied up thinking about what's happened in the past month or what might happen next month, or if it's May and you're worried about, am I going to be here in August? that's the same thing. You're struggling against it. So you got to be able to somehow wake up every day thinking it's game one of the season, right? Taking everything day by day 
And I think that's kind of what I've done. And I think it's worked for me. And, uh, you know, I think it's a mindset that has really helped me a lot. We joke around a lot here about how hard it is for players to come in and get a jersey number that doesn't look like they're in a backfield somewhere in spring training. I got to say, man, 61 is a pretty good number. That's got some juice in Yankees history. I mean, how do you feel when you put that number on your back? To be honest with you, I'm not even thinking about it too much. I mean, 61 <laughs> wouldn't have been my first choice, but I feel like it's not the uh, it's not the worst option available. I'm more concerned about the uh, the pinstripes and the NY on the chest. To be honest with you, fair enough. Are you a history guy though? I mean, have you been out to Monument Park yet or anything? Uh, no, I haven't. I need Fix to go. That. Come on, yeah, man. I need to go. I need to go. <laughs> They'll give you a nice tour. I promise. I I can only imagine, and maybe I can't even imagine, but I I know it's very hard to play in the major leagues, no matter what you're doing. These guys are the best that you're facing. At the same time, though, being a lefty in Yankee Stadium, there's got to be times when you just walk into that batter's box, look out there, and be like, ooh, this place is kind of meant for my swing, isn't it? I mean, yeah, you can you could definitely feel that way at times, but I think, um, you know, when you step in the box in a big league game, the only thing you're worried about is that guy on the mound. Because like you said, these, these dudes are good, man. They're the best in the world. Uh, they're getting paid for a reason. And so really all of that kind of mental focus and mental energy goes into preparing and being ready for who's ever out there. You know, you've been open about the fact that one thing that you've had to work on in your life and in your career are some of the mental challenges and things like that. And it's unfair, but it is nonetheless easy for fans to sometimes ignore the humanity in, in that way. You can't blame them almost. It's not what they're conditioned to do. And, and, and hopefully it is changing in some ways, but I think especially I wonder sometimes you know, a guy like Aaron, a guy like Giancarlo. I mean, they're almost viewed as superheroes in a sense, as opposed to human beings who have other things happening in their lives. Do you feel like for someone who in your has been scratching and clawing really to make a career of it, do you feel that you have maybe fa- found peace in some ways and found, found a, a way to handle some of the stuff that used to hold you back maybe? Yeah, for sure, for sure. The fans are what drive the game. The fans buy the tickets, the fans pay the subscriptions, the fans buy the jerseys. They have a right to be upset when their team isn't winning or when their team isn't playing well or when they disagree with something that's happening. But at the same time, you just have to be able to separate it. You have to understand that I almost have two pieces of me. I have Jake Bowers, the baseball player, the guy who goes out at seven o'clock and, and plays. And then I have the guy who goes home at 11, 1130. And I have to be able to separate those two. But I, I feel like I would almost push back there a little bit because I think part of the problem might be that you're not just Jake Bowers. The, the baseball player, Jake Bowers, isn't just the guy who goes out at seven. It, it's the guy who gets, gets here too. And who's working, you know, from two to seven to get ready for seven. And I mean, isn't that a part of it too? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I guess when I say the guy who goes out and plays at seven, I mean the it's guy. Visible. I get it. But yeah, yeah, just the guy who is at work, right? Like you got your work life and your home life. And I think being able to separate those two is is crucial to, uh, you know, at least having some kind of uh, mental stability throughout the year. I mean, you know, the work that goes in as well as anybody, you know, it's not just weight work. It's not just cage work. I mean, it's just studying. I mean, it's an AP yeah. class and, yeah. you know, basically playing poker against the best pitchers in the world, essentially. Whether you hit one into the second deck here, or you knock it off the very bottom of the foul pole the way you did uh, a couple nights ago. 
what's that feeling like of just getting to walk to run pretty slowly around the bases as slowly oh, as you man. want? <laughs> if they could, uh, if they could bottle it up and sell it, I'd be addicted. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's a surreal feeling. You know, you got the lights flashing, the fans are going crazy. You know, you just helped your team. It's an amazing feeling, and uh, you know, hopefully, I get to do it a lot more. You know, I have to ask, and I apologize for this. A lot of us remember a couple of years back, Brett Gardner throwing his helmet and splitting his lip. <laughs> Your tribute to him a few weeks ago, I, I, all unintentional, it certainly did uh, evoke some memories. Is it, is it about time that we institute a no helmet throwing policy around here? Do we need to like, nip uh, this in the bud? No, no, no. I mean, I think it's all part of it. Um, you know, like we're talking about pressure and, you know, everything that comes along with being a Yankee. And part of that is frustration, right? And um, sometimes you got to let it out. Sometimes you have to let it out. I'm, hopefully your helmet doesn't bounce off the ground and hit you in the face. But um, I'm sorry to laugh. No, it's okay. It's, trust me, I've been uh, I've been catching a lot of jokes around the clubhouse for it. I heard you described as a heat seeker. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I never had a chance, but I will say I feel like I ate it pretty well. Okay, because <laughs> I watched it happen live, and I was wondering. And then the next inning, they come right back to it and spend a good couple minutes watching as you know your lip uh, is getting redder and redder. You know, look, th- this franchise though, there's kind of a spectrum there. You you know, you have you know Nestor Cortez, cool and goofy, whatever. Not not that Nestor's not intense, whatever. But then going through history, you know, you have Gardy trying to break the dugout roof. You have. Paul O'Neill going to war against some water coolers. Where would you say generally? I mean, you are a California guy still. Where where do you generally fit in on the intensity level? Man, I think it really depends. Like, I think you got to be yourself. I think you got to be yourself. Sometimes I can be intense. Sometimes I can be goofy. It really just depends on how the game is going, how I'm feeling, what's happening. But I definitely have the ability to throw a helmet, obviously. I don't think I'm going to do that as many times as I'm not going to do that. But I think the biggest thing is you have to be yourself. You have to. Tampa Bay, Cleveland, Seattle, New York. That's just big league time at this point. You also had, I guess, Cincinnati. You were drafted by San Diego. You're 27 years old. Got some baseball in front of you, one thinks. Pretty good immaculate grid working on your, on your yeah. career at this point. Yeah. As you move, whether minors or majors, from one place to another, though, how do you carry those experiences? How do you carry each of those places into who you are now? I think everything that happens in your life is there to teach you something, whether it be good, bad, in between, anything. I think every experience that you can have, you're having it for a reason. And the more you're able to be objective about things and the more you're able to be present, I think the more of those things you pick up and you're able to carry them forward. And so I think all those places that I've been have almost in a sense been preparing me to be here. And so now that I'm here, it's how can I use my time in Seattle to help me while I'm here in New York? How can I use my time in Tampa to help me here in New York. And when you look at everything like that, one, it makes it a lot easier day to day because you're not getting wrapped up in something that you might perceive as negative because you're looking at it from a perspective of, okay, this is happening. This might suck now, but what can I get from this? How can I use this tomorrow to be better? So let me reframe it a little bit possibly. And and I don't know if this is what you're saying or the opposite of what you're saying, but it seems to me like 
I don't want to call it a chip in your shoulder necessarily because I don't think that's how you're saying it, but the dream when you're drafted, obviously, is I am going to retire a San Diego Padre and I'm going to be in their ring of honor or whatever and I'm going to go into the Hall of Fame with a SD on my, just like Tony Wynn. Do those experiences of moving and moving and moving and moving, is there something you need to prove to anyone? Is there something that you can use as a, as a push to show every time now I got to make it here? This is my last stop. Uh, no, man, I, I really don't think like that. Awesome. I think I might have used to think like that, of course. Like, you want to be drafted by San Diego and spend the next 20 years there, right? But I think everything, it's a cliche. I know it's super cliche, but everything happens for a reason. And so whatever has happened to me in the past, you know, 10 years of my baseball career has happened because that's what I needed to happen. And so I think, you know, when you are looking at things like that, it's just freeing in a way that allows you to not be so wrapped up in the stress, the pressure that you might put on yourself. And it just kind of allows you to just go be yourself and experience all this. It's, it's a crazy life. Uh, there's so much going on. And to enjoy it all and to be able to look back and say, damn, like I had a good time. You have to be present. You can't be wrapped up in your own head because I've been there and it's not. It's not good. It's, it's not useful. It's not useful. It feels terrible. And, uh, you know, it's just not something that I'm interested in. How is August 2023 Jake Bowers better than August 2022 Jake Bowers, would you say? I think I'm just a little bit further on the path of, of living like that. I think last year was really kind of the beginning of figuring it out mentally. And so I think this year has just kind of been a continuation of that. And I'm just a little bit further down that path. Let's go back a bit. First walk-off homer, June of 2018, playing for the Rays. I'm guessing you remember the opponent? Uh, yeah. New York sure Yankees. Do, yeah. Talk, yeah. talk me through that moment. I, I, I can't think of anything better. I mean, short yeah. of winning a World Series. But like, yeah. that walk-off homer has got to be. Yeah, that was crazy. I think I, I think I went a little nuts there, too, <laughs> running around the bases. Um, I know it was bottom 12 before the ghost runner on second, chasing Shreve on the mound. Really, I was just trying to like smack a single the other way, just try and get something going. And uh, I remember hitting the ball, and I was like, "Oh, I might have, I might have got that." And I started running. I'm like, "I don't know if I got it." Hit first base, it goes over the wall, and I threw my helmet up in the air, like running in between first and second, which I don't think you're supposed to do in a walk off. But uh, anything goes, I guess, when you're a 22-year-old kid hitting your first walk-off homer. Anyone who takes issue with a, a celebratory reaction in that case, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I have no very doubt. little use for them. A year later, cycle with Cleveland. So when you're coming up to the plate, three for four, you know, right? Yeah, for sure. What are you thinking about? Are you? I mean, you can't chase a home run. You can't be thinking about it, I guess, but you kind of are, right? Yeah, I mean, you want it. Yeah. You definitely want it. I mean, I just remember being in the dugout talking to uh, Shane Bieber and – I knew a lefty was coming in and I was talking to him. I'm like, ah, man, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I can try and lift one here. Like, I gotta, I gotta stay on him. I gotta think the other way. He's like, nah, man, no, you gotta go for it. You gotta go for it. First pitch crushed. <laughs> not, yeah. even, not even, not like. even. Yeah. I mean, I ended up trying to get something that I could get in the air and got a first pitch fastball down the middle. That, that, that's gotta be something. You're 5'11", right? Is that basically right? Uh, we'll call it like six foot. Yeah, let's call it six foot, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, but you pass for a normal-sized person on the street. Do you ever wonder how an Aaron, a Clay, or those guys, 
you know, it must be so hard, much harder for them in a sense to leave the ballpark and leave their baseball life here. Sometimes I imagine you're able to do that more than them per se. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I remember asking judge you one time, I was like, Hey man, do you ever get tired of being Aaron judge? And, uh, you know, I don't know, man. It's it's tough for sure when you can't separate it, but I think those guys have such a good understanding of what it is that they do that it's almost a non-factor for them. I think they're, they have whatever they have outside of here, and they're happy with it, and they're able to come in, be who they are, and leave and be who they are. I, I think they just have it down so well. Have you taken advantage of being around New York this time and getting to fade in a little bit more than some of people. Do you, do you take advantage of the city? Uh, I'm staying over in Jersey right now, okay. actually. So, but me and my wife and our dog were staying right down by central park. And I mean, yeah, we would soak it up. We'd walk in central park in the morning, grab a cup of coffee, hang out, you know, go for a walk at night here and there. It's just, there's so much going on out there. There's so much energy to feed off of. And you know, it's a crazy place. And you guys are expecting a little girl, correct? Yeah, we are. Yeah, November. Pro- probably the greatest Instagram uh, announcement ever. <laughs> really involving the pup there. Yeah, credit to my wife on that. She uh, she likes to get creative with those things. It's adorable. I don't want to speak for, you know, your family necessarily. I think Yankees fans are pretty much hoping that you're not much help to her through the month of October in some ways, that you're a little bit occupied there. But, man, that, that's a, whenever this does end, that's an exciting thing to look forward to. Are you guys uh, fully into the nesting mode at this point? Uh, we're excited. We're excited. I think we're both ready. I think we're both um, at a place in our lives where we're ready to kind of, you know, welcome that adventure. And it's something that we're really looking forward to. We just came through the trade deadline. And it was a weird one, in a sense, because... For, for, for the weeks leading up to it, you just didn't know which way it was going to go. Anyone it seemed could have been coming. Anyone it seemed could have been going. But, you know, we're here. It's mid-August. You know who the 2023 Yankees are at this point. You're a member. How excited are you now as we enter this stretch of, you know, a lot of those distractions around things like that and just everything's in front of you? How exciting is that moment? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's exciting. Um you know, like we've been talking about, trying really not to look too far ahead to anything. I mean, I think you show up today, whatever the day is, and you try to win the game. I mean, these games are high pressure, high stress, meaningful baseball games that we got to win. It feels like every night we, we got to win. And so you start looking forward into, uh, you know, September, October, while you're in August, chances are you're not giving everything you have to, to that day. And so really just trying to keep that same mindset that we've been talking about of showing up today trying to win tonight's game awesome well jake bowers thanks so much for taking the time and for doing what you've been doing yeah yeah no problem appreciate you hi this is tommy canely you're listening to the new york yankees official podcast hi this is clark schmidt you're listening to the new york yankees official podcast Welcome back to the New York Yankees official podcast. Al, look, I, I think that it's obvious that there are parts of the season that have not gone according to plan. I think one of the things that happens in those cases is other people get opportunities, other people get chances, and however the season ends, whatever the final story of this season ends up being, you got to hand it to Jake Bowers, a guy who saw an opportunity there and took it. You really do. Again, I, you know, I, I kind of harken back to it being inspirational. I think what I what I recognize the most is, you know, there's there's certain people who, if you if you think about where he was and where he is now, 
he had to do a lot to do this and to do the things that he did. And, you know, he beat the odds to some extent and he beat out a lot of guys and did what, you know, what a lot of people probably wouldn't have been able to do in his situation. It's great. You know, it's a great opportunity and a great life lesson. I hope it continues for him. He certainly is a pleasant guy and, and humble and funny and funny. <laughs> it's always interesting to me. I mean, this is an era of baseball where in a lot of ways, different people think they have different things figured out. And the whole idea of teams relying so much on analytics and everything like that is to get rid of a lot of the variables in a mm-hmm. sense to be able to predict future performance in a lot of ways. And one thing that I found interesting as I was talking to some people around the team about Bowers before he and I got into the room together for this Q and a is Aaron Boone's pretty open about the fact like now we didn't see this, mm-hmm. you know, and like when, cause you know, they acquired him last year, sent him right to the minors, yeah. didn't know what to expect. This is a guy who used to be a top prospect, but that shine had kind of faded in a sense. And he said, Boone, uh, it wasn't even when they signed him. It was in spring training this year when he was just watching the ball come come off his bat. And it was just like, that's different. Um, and it's interesting. Again, you know, you want to believe that. And, and the Yankees do have a pretty good track record of finding some of these guys who no one saw coming. And suddenly they're, you know, major contributors. But so- sometimes they're as surprised as we are. Yeah, I, I think I am uh, as much as I am have an old school approach. I also feel you know that i'm the most both respectful and receptive person to change and to the evolution of the way that scouting is done um i think no matter what pieces are in place or not brian cashman's approach is as good as any in baseball i absolutely stand by that and a lot of it is you know, projecting, you know, whatever, you know, analytical approach he has, it's all about projecting. But I think if he was sitting right here, he would say exactly what you did as well, which is you can project, project, analyze, do all that stuff. But he's still trying to project the performance of a human being, not a car. You can do that with cars. You can do that with man-made things like, you know, like I said, like an automobile and know exactly how fast it's going to go and what it's going to do. Still talking about human beings. You're still talking about people who whose character come into play and all that stuff. And I mean, I think the best, you know, the best example of it for me was I had a lot of fun fact checking all those years ago your Ron Bloomberg piece about him being the first overall pick. And then there was a lot about, you know, in that story about other draft picks. And what was really interesting to me was going through you know, the first round of every draft from like 1967 on and seeing who made it and who didn't make it. And, you know, if it was an exact science, uh, you know, especially as time gets, you know, we get more recent, you know, it should be more of an exact science, right? Then all the first round picks would be great players. There wouldn't be the Andy Pettits and the Hori Posadas in the, you know, late, late, late rounds or whatever. Look, Aaron Judge was... You know, the end in, in the supplemental yeah, round, right. pick after the first round. I mean, like, again, exactly. you can look at all these examples of guys who didn't make it, but like you're saying, it's even guys who did make it who just, you know, Aaron Judge was a college player. It wasn't like mm-hmm. he was a high school player. He was a college player who, yeah. who last, what, I think it's 32nd pick or 33rd pick. It, it, it's one of those. I forget which one, but it's just, they're, they're, these guys are really good at finding baseball talent and figuring out who's going to make it. And, Look, one of the very first things that when he sat down in the room with me, and, and I'll be honest, this was the first time I'd ever spoken to Bowers, which is always a weird thing. And the yeah. first thing I said to him was like, hey, man, not to be rude, but you know, when your name came over the transactions wire, 
I wasn't exactly prepping a long interview with you. And he said, like, yeah, man, you're not the only one. Yeah. So yeah, he gets it. I and, like the humility that he has, for sure. But, uh, you know, it, it is a – look, I, I think who knows what the future holds for Jake Bowers, obviously. I mean, you know, it's a fool's errand at this point to predict what he is in 2024. Sure. Even, even just for the last month of 2023. But, look, I mean, we, you wrote two stories in this August magazine about two very different players in a lot of ways. You know, one of them, Roy White, great player, beloved Yankee, really just a guy who had a, a distinguished career here and has remained a vital part of the Yankees family. Yeah. I mean, he's here <laughs> weekly. I, I, I don't even know. Um, and the other one, Shelly Duncan, just an all-time baseball lifer, uh, you know, his father, Dave Duncan brother chris duncan who unfortunately passed away i mean the, the, this is a true baseball family and he's now the manager of the rail riders but other than you know some really brief interesting moments not much of a baseball career not, not much of a you know, not not a superstar certainly no but no. it's just there's a lot of different baseball careers out there and i think we're talking about three very in a sense both indicative of what baseball careers look like mm-hmm. in that they're just so different. I mean, they're, they're, yeah. they're not all Aaron Judge and Carlos Stanton and Anthony Rizzo and all these guys who you just boom, 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 boom. Like it, it works differently for different people. It does. I mean, I, you know, they're all, they all have different shapes and sizes and come from different places. And that, that's the beauty of the game. It's also the beauty of, of the resources that we have to cover such a broad spectrum of players, whether it's doing a hometown story with a guy who, you know, had a cup of coffee or, doing a, a sit down with an Aaron judge or, or things like that over the years. And, you know, I think this issue displays that in a lot of ways, both from the stories I did as, as well as, as um, even the cover story on IKF and, and all these other, you know, other pieces. Who would have guessed that, right? Who would have guessed that? Exactly. A hundred percent. But, you know, I, I will be honest. I, I, you know, I'm, I've been here a long time. Shelly Duncan is a, is a real reminder of how long I've, how old I am, I guess, and how long I've been here. It's always interesting when you uh, cover a player and do a story on a player and then years later do a story on the same person when they're back in the organization in a different role. Or I laughed, you know, last year because, you know, we played, you know, Cleveland in the postseason and I had done a story on, you know, Paul Quantrill and now I'm sitting here covering his son, you know, Cal Quantrill. So, yeah, you know, those are, you know, they're, they're, you know, the reminders to me of, of how, you know, how generational the game is and, and also how quick 20 years is in, in, a, in a person's life because uh, two generations of a, of a player are there. In Shelly Duncan's case, it's like two generations of his own life. You know, he's a, a player, to your point, he didn't have a, a real esteemed career. But one of the things that I really appreciated about him and that I that I really loved about him when he was here and again now is a the character that he has cuz he is a character. He's talk about funny, talk about kind of off the wall. He was certainly that as a player. He's calmed down a little bit now more as a manager, but then and now probably the nicest guy you could ever imagine being around. Really really that way and you know some of the the really incredible takeaways for me were that's how I always felt about him. And when I talked to him about his brother who had passed away, some of the things that he talked about were not his brother's, you know, great baseball career or anything like that, but just the way that he treated people and the kindness for which he, he always acted and the way that he stood up for people. And it was like, boy, you've had really good parents because 
that's what I thought about Shelley from all those years ago, which is why when he became the manager, I probably wasn't quite as nice to you and Nathan about how much I wanted to do the story. <laughs> you know, uh, it's just something I, I was so invested in and so excited about. It's always really interesting for me because you think of the minor leagues and it's like, okay, well, you know, we're going to develop major leaguers. And so, you know, I think if you don't know any better, your first thought is like, man, who's the best possible player we can get in there? Who's the you know superstar all-star? And the reality is, first off, especially this generation, superstar all-star Hall of Famers, they probably made enough money at that point that they mm-hmm. don't need to go, they don't necessarily want to go ride a bus, bus in AAA. Right, right. You know, I don't think that any superstar Yankees prospect right now playing for the Rail Riders that the first thing they're going to get from Shelly Duncan is, you know, this is how you hit 30 home runs in the major leagues. Right. But I'll tell you what Shelly Duncan can't teach them is, is how you manage that part of your life right. of the grind of AAA and of learning how to be on the precipice of the major leagues and make it. And look, the Yankees have enough analysts and coaches and coordinators and all that stuff who can, yeah, teach you how to, you know, design a better pitch. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's more major league ready or, you know, fix a hitch in your swing and something like that. But man, the thing that these guys at that precipice can learn from Shelly Duncan, like that guy knows what it's like to be that close to your dream and keep waiting and keep waiting and watch get pulled away and kind of have to get sent back and all these things. Mm -hmm. I got to imagine that's hugely valuable for those players. It is. And I talked to some of the players there and most of them, you know, regard him as literally the best influence in their life right now, other than maybe their, their families or their parents, um, you know, but organizationally best guy that, that they have in their po- in their corner. And he takes that really seriously. And, you know, I think that's a skill in and of itself and dealing with just going out, showing up every day and being as productive as you can possibly be. Because when you're Shelly Duncan or some of the guys that, you know, you and I are alluding to here that are not Aaron Judge, if you don't play to the top of your potential, then you have no chance to yep. get to the majors and have a successful career. Shelly Duncan had to be the best version of himself to do what he did. If Aaron Judge isn't the best version of himself or Michael Jordan wasn't, he's still going to be amazing and great. you know. But is there a skill in giving that absolute best of yourself every day when you thought you were going to be on the major league roster and you're in Scranton, Pennsylvania on, you know, thirsty Thursday and everybody's beer is getting frozen because it's cold and it just stinks to be there. You still got to be the best version of yourself or there's no Yankee stadium in June. And he imparts that on them every day, not every week, not every month, but every day, whether things are going good or bad. The other thing that, you know, like, like I said, you know, he kind of was a gregarious guy and a jokester and, you know, we remember, I remember those, you know, those days when he was here and what he was like, the Bash brother, bringing the Bash brothers to here where you would almost break your forearm if you were a publications guy greeting him or, you know, Melky Cabrera or something having hit a home run. The thing that I think is a little hidden is just how brilliant this guy is. And I'm using that word and I'm not exaggerating. Baseball wise, he's as smart as any, certainly coach in our system, the way that he studies opposing pitchers and works with hitters there and vice versa, it's top level stuff. Like I, I, I don't know that people really know that, but it's it's there. It's a great piece. Obviously, it will be online early next week. But uh, Al, that's one of two stories you had on former Yankees this month. The other one, 
you know, it, it's a great Q&A with Roy White. And Roy White is, I think, for a lot of people, one of those guys who's been around kind of the Yankees family so long. Probably half the fans who have been at Yankee Stadium in the last five years have, you know, had a chance to shake his hand at some point. Yeah. That's how present he is. But, you know, maybe I'm skipping ahead a little bit in this Q&A. To me, one of the most remarkable things about guys of that generation is, you know, we just came up on, you know, like as every year in early August, the anniversary of Thurman Munson's, you know, tragic passing. Yeah. And Thurman is obviously still so beloved around Yankee Stadium, his shirts everywhere. He's such a huge figure here. And in a sense, it's guys like Roy White who, as they're telling stories about Thurman, as he did in your Q&A, you know, that's such an important part of keeping that legacy, not just of Thurman Munson, but of that era of the Yankees alive. And look, it happens with everything. It happens with every story. It happens with every great moment. You know, the people involved in it eventually stop being around. And reading this Q&A, you know, it it just made me feel how lucky we are that Roy White is around the Yankees and and how how valuable a part of the Yankees family he is. I agree. He's a really nice guy. Um, you know, you know, in a way, a, a little bit forgotten. You know, he played here for 15 years. He was really productive. He was a big, big part of uh, one of of two of the championship seasons. One of the postseasons, um, meaning 78. He did some some stuff that you know may have really empowered them to you know to get into the World Series, beating the Kansas City Royals um, in the in the American league championship series, great career. You know, the thing about his relationship with Thurman Munson, it's not unlike some other guys, you know, I have a story coming out in September on Ron Bloomberg, who actually wrote a book about his relationship with Thurman. And, uh, it kind of makes me feel in a way like, boy, that was somebody I wish I could have been around. You know, it, it, it must have been really, really or. cool. <laughs> Although, uh, seeing as I am a person who interviews players, yeah, uh, not, maybe not. Not, th- not Thurman's favorite kind of may, person. Maybe not so much, but uh, I kind of feel like I would have broke through. And, and I think you would have as well, John. I know you have, uh, you know, a relation, you know, a relationship with his with his wife, having done a great story out there and got to see just how how special of a person he was from her. But yeah, you know, the, the funny thing about it, we sat down at my favorite restaurant, Roy and I don't live too far from each other and sat down and, you know, he has just written this book, which he was anxious to talk about and promote um, from Compton to the Bronx, uh, his his life story, so to speak. And it's a great read. It's a great book, all that. And, you know, we start talking and, and you know, even before I put the recorder on, um, I asked him something about the process of, of writing a book and because he, he did it in a, in a short period of time. And he's like, yeah, the one thing that just stands out to me is once it was done and printed – how many things I remembered after the fact that I, I missed. So, you know, I reached down and hit record and said, you know, like what, you know, and he's got, oh, well, there's this one th- story about Thurman that I thought about and, you know, whatever. And I, so I said, you know what, we don't get a lot of Yankees magazine exclusives. Let's do it. Tell me that story. And that was actually my favorite anecdote in the whole piece, which was, you know, this story about uh, this game on this hot, super hot day where they were getting beat by a lot. And you kind of, as he's telling the story, you kind of see where this is going. And, you know, in the in the bottom of the ninth, he and Thurman are both frustrated. They come into the clubhouse. One of them starts, you know, just changing or, or getting ready to shower and, and change. And Thurman is already in the shower. And of course, a whatever it was, I don't remember off the top of my head, but, you know, five, six run lead quickly is evaporating and Thurman literally has to leave the shower 
put his uniform back on. Roy White has to get dressed as well. And Roy White hits a, a, a game-tying home run. And then they lose the game later. And, of course, Thurman you know, has the line of the day, you know, don't ever do that again. Next time hit a game winning home run, you know, and, and, um, you know, it's a great book. It would have been greater with that in it, but (laughs) I was really happy that, uh, our readers could learn about that story from Yankees magazine. It was a special thing. It's it's a special thing. It's it's a special Q and a, like I said, this is shaping up to be an interesting September, a September like we haven't seen in a while around here. That could mean that the team goes on an incredible run and makes it unbelievably memorable for all the best reasons. Or it could mean that it gets a little, you know, a bit of a bummer in some ways. But the, the reality is, first off, there's not a single thing that the, this franchise has not been through at some point. And right. a guy like Roy White saw both sides of it. He, he saw greatness and he saw just times when nothing was working. And he saw times when the team was great and also it was volatile and weird and crazy. I mean, yeah. you know, that guy lived a full Yankees life in a way mm-hmm. and whatever happens, whatever comes of this year, it's cool that we get to tell, you know, these stories obviously, but it's a great Q and a it's available online right now. It's certainly uh, available in the August issue of Yankees magazine, which is on newsstands now with, as you, as you said, Al, Isaiah Kiner for life on the cover. It's been a year of surprises. I think that our August magazine having IKF, no one saw it coming, but good for that guy. Good for Jake Bowers. Mm-hmm. Good for all the people we got a chance to, uh, you know, feature in this magazine. Included among them, of course, Roy White and Shelley Duncan. Al, great job with those stories. Thank you so much. For sure. And uh, we will speak to you guys in two weeks. Cheers. Hi, this is Kyle Higashioka. Thank you for listening to the New York Yankees official podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe at yankees.com slash podcast or at the podcast app of your choice and tell your friends. The New York Yankees official podcast is a production of the Yankees Magazine Podcast Network. It's produced by me, John Schwartz, with assistance from the entire team at Yankees Magazine, as well as incredible support from the New York Yankees Media Relations Department, in particular Jason Zillow, Michael Margolis, and Caitlin Brennan. Thanks also to our awesome social media team, Brian Callahan, Julia Shore, and Alex King. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're available wherever you listen to your podcasts or at yankees.com slash podcasts. Leave us a review, leave us a rating, you can even send us your thoughts over email, podcasts at yankees.com. For more information about the stories we discussed today, visit yankees.com slash magazine, where you can read all of our long-form content. If you'd like to subscribe to Yankees Magazine, or purchase individual copies of the magazine, yearbook, media guide, or anything else, please visit yankees.com slash publications or call us at 800-GO-YANKS. Of course, you can also stay up to date on everything happening here at the stadium by following us on Twitter, at Yanks Magazine, or by liking us on Facebook at Yankees Magazine. That's it. See you next time, and go Yanks. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.